Welcome to History Lab. I'm your host, Anna Clark. This is Listen to Darlinghurst, a History Lab series produced by Catherine Franey. In this ep, we visit the wards of St Vincent's Hospital in three acute public health emergencies over the course of 100 years. St Vincent's Hospital, Sydney. Annual report, 1919. The year 1919 has been perhaps the most eventful in the history of St Vincent's Hospital. Certainly never has its usefulness been more prominent, its aims more perfectly fulfilled. During those never-to-be-forgotten days when the fatal epidemic, so mildly termed influenza, was sweeping over the city like a cruel blast, our hospital gave shelter to hundreds of pestilence-stricken patients. Many returned whole to their homes. Others, who had reached their allotted span, received in their last hours such consolation and relief as could be afforded them. 356 cases of influenza were treated at the hospital. 256 recovered. 63 died. There's no place in this room for homophobia. This is the weekly AIDS strategy meeting at Sydney's St Vincent's Hospital. Some 40 AIDS patients are already in treatment at the hospital, and there'll be many more. My name is David Polson. I was one of the first 400 people in Australia diagnosed with HIV AIDS. That was 1984. It certainly was a shocking piece of news. I felt like I was falling down a big, black, bottomless pit. It was terrifying. It was just overwhelming. It was a time where there was so much hatred, so much fear about anyone with HIV. The number of people who are being diagnosed with AIDS is doubling every three months. Ward 17 South was the ward established at St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney for people suffering from HIV AIDS. I was a patient in the ward on numerous occasions. The ward was so busy it was always full, there was never a bed empty in that ward. The Sisters of Charity started the ward off. The nuns at that time ran the hospital. They were the first probably in the world to reach out to people with HIV AIDS. They said, these people need our help, and they gave it unconditionally, right from the start. Ward 17 South, it was what I called a haven. You would walk in there as a patient or as a visitor, and you'd feel this very special atmosphere of love and care. The first time I went there was about six or seven months after my diagnosis. Uh, a boy I was working with um, was admitted to hospital, so I went to see him. My friend was terminally ill. He had a private room right down the end of the ward. 
As I was walking to his room, I had to obviously walk past all the other wards where there were six beds per room. To my horror, in those beds were so many friends and colleagues of mine who I didn't know were HIV positive, who I didn't know were sick and who I didn't know were dying. Such was the fear and the silence around being HIV positive in those days. The staff in Ward 17 South did have to deal with very difficult situations. This boy, his partner had died and he was also positive. He was very sick as well. He came into Ward 17 South one night very, very distressed. He had just buried his lover. He'd gone home. He couldn't get into his flat. The parents of his lover had come in during the son's funeral, changed the locks and stripped the flat bare of everything. So not only could he not get into his flat, he was absolutely destitute. He had nowhere to live, no possessions. And so he went towards 17 South and they fixed him up. They found somewhere for him to live and they helped him recuperate his life. But that was just one situation. I spent five weeks in hospital once in Ward 17 South. I had renal failure and that was only one of the things. I had multiple comorbidities at that stage, so I was extremely ill. I think it was about 2001. It was just before the advent of my current medical regimen. Um, so that would have been about 2001. That's when the new absolutely wonderful modern medications became available. Vaccination number one. Yeah. Hand on your hip. Yeah. There was a great uptake of vaccination within the homeless community. Ready? Yeah. We actually needed to take vaccination to them to make it as accessible as possible. Thank you, mate. All done. I appreciate Thank you for coming. Yeah. My name's Erin Longbottom. I'm the nursing unit manager of the Homeless Health Service at St Vincent's Hospital, Sydney. Hey, mate. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Not bad. Yeah, what's been happening for you? Yeah, we're screwed up at the moment. Yeah? No. The area that we're in, you know, being in Darlinghurst, we are right in the heart of the inner city where there's a lot of people, you know, who sleep rough. People literally sleep out the front of our emergency department. They sleep out the front of the hospital. Can't sleep out here. I lie down and I'm going to get up and I lie down and get up and pace. COVID was a big shock. It was unlike anything any of us had ever seen before and we knew so little about it. But we knew that people who were vulnerable, who had immunodeficiency or other complex health issues would be more vulnerable to getting the virus. And what we had to do was to make sure that everyone was safe and that was a lot harder for people without a home. Initially, in the first wave, we had a lot of international students that became homeless, backpackers that became homeless. We saw a lot of people, you know, new people on the street. Do you have a doctor that you see on a regular basis? Not, not a normal one. Not a normal one? Too transient. Key to improving anyone's health 
is always accommodation. We did see a huge benefit during the pandemic when we were able to provide accommodation, you know, just when we met someone and we could put them straight into a hotel, we could wrap supports around them and figure out what they wanted to do and support them with that. There was a gentleman who was sleeping in a tent, very, very isolated in the first wave, and we just gradually sort of slowly built up a bit of a relationship with him over a couple of weeks, just kept going back to see him and took him some supplies and kept speaking with him. And eventually he actually accepted temporary accommodation, which was going into a hotel that was funded by the government during the lockdown periods of the pandemic. When my team was planning this for him, they said to him, "What you know? is there anything we can do for you? And he said, actually, I'd really like to see my mum. But he had completely lost contact with her. And he was someone who was sleeping in a park. He had no ID. He had no income. Very few belongings. You know, his mental health was really poor. And so we were supporting him with those things as well. And he obviously remembered his mum's name. And so one of the workers from one of the other services actually looked his mum up on Facebook, found somebody with that name and messaged her and said, is this your son? And she wrote back with like, oh my goodness, we've been looking for him. He's been missing for years. Can you tell us where he is? And so with his consent, we're able to tell the family where the hotel had gone into. The whole family drove to Sydney and met with him at the hotel and this reunion was the most moving thing and with really good mental health treatment with support to get his ID and everything else back he was able to go back home and live with them with support if it wasn't for that intensive outreach we were doing because of the pandemic and because of COVID we wouldn't have been able to provide him with that accommodation because he wouldn't have been eligible for it with no income and we wouldn't have been able to support him enough to actually get him in the space potentially that where he would have been able to meet with his family so that was one really amazing story to come out of the pandemic. I wasn't there for other pandemics but there is a lot of anecdotal and knowledge that's passed down particularly through the LGBTQIA plus community, that St Vincent's Hospital was such a huge ally in the AIDS pandemic and that continued with COVID. This was a public health emergency. Really vulnerable people were hugely at risk and the hospital led the way in partnership with other services in making sure that people got early access to vaccination that people were able to come into the emergency department and they were supported if all else failed. You know, there is a strong ethos around that here at St Vincent's. It's what we do and we really value human life. You've been listening to Pandemic Times, part of Listen to Darlinghurst. I'm Anna Clark, and joining me in the studio is Catherine Franey, producer of Listen to Darlinghurst. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Anna. This really is, you know, listening to this sort of fresh, you get a real sense of the sort of episodes of history in this. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's what I was touched by when I learnt about St Vincent's during the time of Spanish flu. Because of the COVID pandemic that we've all just been living through, there's a story about a mass, an open-air mass that was held. I think actually it might have been held every Sunday for a little while during the Spanish flu, which enabled people to gather, but in a way that they weren't going to be transmitting flu to each other. And yeah, I just was struck by the similarity with the social distancing we were needing to do at the time. And it's it's, uh, seductive to think that um, things that happened 100 years ago or 500 years ago, that uh, the people experiencing those things just like us, like they're not, they're Mm. obviously shaped by very different circumstances, but certainly grief and loss and fear and illness and All of these things, they are transhistorical. And so, especially with the HIV AIDS epidemic, as a historian, I've long been struck by how HIV AIDS occurred quite suddenly in the early to mid-1980s. It actually transformed the way we understood the risks associated with sexual contact. Obviously, it affected gay men in greater numbers than any other community, but everybody is vulnerable and so we all had to change our ways. And here we are, you know, 40 years later and HIV is a manageable condition. There are preventative medications that are available. And so in the course of a single lifetime, like, say, David Paulson, who we hear in pandemic times, the menace and the danger and the signification of something like HIV AIDS is completely transformed. Well, the thing that was really, I suppose, moving listening to David's story in this episode in particular is that leap back in time that this kind of history affords us. You know, just in his own memory, he takes us into that ward and he's, as he's walking down the corridor, looking into the rooms of Ward 17 South, of these dying men, many of whom are his friends, it feels very foreign to today, as you just said. You know, we, we've come such a long way in terms of treatment and management. But it doesn't take long for us to be transported back into that moment, does it? Like, it's still there somewhere in the recesses of our collective memory, I suppose, of Sydney and the world, indeed, at that Mm. time. Yeah. HIV AIDS was just such a watershed in so many ways. Just Um, this sense of cohort, the loss of mm. of this whole cohort. And um, I mean, obviously, that's still lived by many, but how quickly it can become kind of history. Mm. So what's the role of historians to shake it out of the past and make it part of our conscience again is is very very important. Yeah, and just to find those connections. I mean, yeah, with so many of these stories, because um, this is just six short stories, I did want to get quite a bit of coverage across those six stories. And so this mode of bringing different time periods in close proximity to each other to sort of bring a bit of a comparative sense has been one that I've deployed in a few of the stories, actually. And I think that that really does get those conversations and connections happening between the present and the past. Mm. There's a real sense of time travel in this one, for sure. Listen to Darlinghurst is a production of the Australian Centre for Public History in partnership with the Paul Ramsey Foundation. The sound engineer is Judy Rapley. Music in today's story by Blue Dot Sessions and the Tudor Consort. Archive material from ABC Content Sales. Thanks to Britta Jorgensen and Sarah Gilbert at Impact Studios UTS. 
History Lab is made on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, whose land was never ceded. I'm Anna Clark. Catch you next time.